population outside, what material and symbolic investments do they sustain in the camp? Do social relations form there continue, or do they weaken to the point of rupture? Do camps produce their own diasporas that remain connected to them in ways that include economic inputs? Though camps and gatherings do not enclose all Palestinians in Lebanon, their economic marginality seems to be offset by a political representativeness that is expressed by an observer who said, quote, the social environment of Palestinians is in the camps. I'm not going to defend, defend that point and I, I may get um, I questions about it. Islamic ideals that the better off should assist the poor, especially widows, orphans, the elderly and this, the disabled, is anecdotally present in camp communities even when regretted as a thing of the past. Insisting that the hardships of camp life is political rather than economic and therefore needs to be withstood may be one way, as Sylvain Perdigon proposes, that Palestinian camps persist as communities without adequate means to do so. Dealing with poverty as siyasi is a way of asserting sovereignty in Pedigal's interpretation, a considered collective response to an international system that has robbed Palestinians of national rights. We cannot know without research what part women play in the transmission of indigenous charity or the conveying of reports of hardship or the urging of help. But given the little we do know of women's inter-household sociability, these elements are likely to be considerable. Doing fieldwork in a mixed Beirut suburb two years before the beginning of the Lebanese civil war, ethnographer Suad Joseph found that women's visiting crossed national, ethnic and sectarian boundaries. Not only this, their visiting linked women in need of aid to sources of charity that these women would not have had access to given their communal belonging. Making money move is, in this way is an aspect of gender ideology in practice that has not been well researched. I expect the similar patterns of cross-organizational connecting would be found among Palestinians as part of the practice of neighborliness, which is largely women's domain. Camp diasporas appear to be another source of economic support. They're probably accounted for in surveys under the term remittances and assumed to move exclusively between migrants and their families. Diasporic contributions may also be public. After the Battle of the Camps, Shatila's mosque was rebuilt by gifts from camp communities abroad. A friend in British Barajni camp recently raised $8,000 from the diaspora to install an elevator in a multi-story building to help a mother with two disabled children. The widespread use of cyberspace by young Palestinian refugees offers an expanding basis for some such transnational transfers as well as for a transnational activism that can take economic and social as well as political forms. We need to move beyond the cartographic image of camps as bounded spaces and view them rather as hubs of multi-purpose networks that reach out to and connect Palestinians and their friends across a global shatat. I, I just did a terrible pearl because I've forgotten to leave the name of the friend downstairs who is going to attend the workshop. Her name is Khaloud Hussein. Okay. 
And I, I promised to leave her name and then I complete. No, you don't need the name. They would let her in. Interaction with Lebanese neighbours as an economic resource for capitalists understudied, probably because an image of them as zones of difference marked by clear boundaries has discouraged researchers from examining economic exchange between camps and their neighbourhoods and the degree to which these this contributes to camp subsistence. Mm-hmm. I think I'll cut out this paragraph. <clears throat> Another clearly under-researched aspect of Palestinian life in Lebanon is migration, whether as to incidence, duration, or economic impact. As young adults increasingly feel that they have no future in Lebanon, migration attempts have shot up, even though visa barriers limit numbers that manage to reach a second host country. In 2014, young people across the camps in Lebanon conducted a campaign called Yes to Migration. The campaign aroused very strong opposition from the political leadership who saw any decrease in refugees clustering close to Palestine as a threat to national struggle. The irony of the politicians' opposition to migration is that probably migrant remittances help families left behind to survive, whereas the national leadership has proved unable to soften Lebanon's regime of exclusion. Among the many unknowns about migration is outcomes for individual migrants and their families. And when women migrate, whether as wives, workers or asylum seekers, do they send money back to families at home more than men do? Having hopefully convinced you that camps can neither depend on UNRWA nor the PLO to sustain them, and that capitalism presents a threat I turn to the core topic of my presentation, the need for economic ethnographies of camps that take full account of the economic agency of women, how their informal kinds of economic activism sustain camp households, and how households in turn form the basic units on which the reproduction of camp communities depends. Um, The Secretary General of the Lebanon branch of the General Union of Palestinian Women uses phrases such as our working mothers or our peasant mothers in speeches on International Women's Day, suggesting the existence, which my own observations confirm, of a collective memory of the economic agency uh, of women in, 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 uh, in pre-48 Palestine. And this image of working mothers is also transmitted in the way individual women in refugee camps have taken their mothers as models of economic agency as of other values. The life stories I recorded with women from Shatila in the 1980s gave grounds, gave grounds for a paper in which I noticed how camp conditions had elaborated mother-daughter ties. And studies carried out among women in various agent, uh, regions of the Shatat have extended our understanding of women's economic agency. I'll jump over the very brief review I, and quotes from I had from uh, there's been actually a number of studies with Palestinian women in different areas uh, carried out by um, Ellen Fleischman, Dalanis Moores, Oreb Najjar, and, and so on and so on. And I, I do give quotes from from these studies because historically they're very very interesting, and many of them were actually transmitted to researchers after 48 about mothers, not 
known before. And, and so I will skip all this bit of uh, quotes from these students. And I'll, I'll, I'll also commit a rather, um, a rather nice quotation from my own collection of life stories from two uh, women who were actually, or one woman and her sister, who were actually uh, something like six and seven in Palestine, who talk about the work they did uh, and how they had a field and how they worked in it, how they sowed it and how they gathered vegetables and how they sold the vegetables, they put them in a basket on their head and sold them to, to the Jews. So I don't skip all that. And actually I think I'll jump right to the very last two paragraphs where I try to summarize what I feel about uh, reading all these, my, about my own, uh, my own uh, work and on all these other studies and come and, and, and skip the part where I talk about how women in Lebanon use their marriage goals their bracelets and their, their necklaces uh, actually to make economic interventions um, for instance in one case uh, a woman used her girls to buy a hut in the early days of the camp when her husband wanted to stay in the tent to signal political protest and another woman used her wedding gold to fund her husband to uh, set up as a copy seller in the bush. And, uh, and I talk also about piecework that uh, Palestinian women were used to do in the home in the early days. Uh, quite a lot of cases of that. Local, small local industries, particularly sewing industries, would give women piecework or making paper bags. Or, or and later, the PLO itself employed women in uh, embroidery production. And this was something that could be done in the home. Okay, um, so all this builds up for me to uh, a picture of women as always moving into the breach when there's economic need for protection of the family and that this as a sort of having historic roots in Palestine where men uh, uh, often were sent well, in Ottoman times were sent as conscripts for the Ottoman army when they might be imprisoned or killed in, in resistance and, and, and reading through uh, uh, these testimonies, these studies it's amazing how striking the, the death of husbands is and over and over again women are left with young children um, through the very early death of, of husbands and, and, and this seems to be something that sort of was always there in in, in the background of their marriage expectations. Uh, so I suggest right at the end of my paper that uh, the way mobile telephony has been used in other third world areas, for instance Africa, India and uh, Latin America, to assist women in access to markets that they uh, have production of their own in the home, like pickles or jams, things of the kind that actually the PLO in the days of the resistance movement did help women to market, uh, would help them to uh, find customers for. Okay, and I, I just wanted to emphasise that the research I'm, I'm advocating has nothing to do with the neoliberal project of increasing economic productivity, whether through microcredit schemes or setting women up as entrepreneurs, 
and nor is it set in a framework of enhancing women's empowerment or advancing gender egalitarianism. Rather, it accepts community values of political, social and cultural self-reproduction of which women are an integral part in ways that are changing, even though transmitted from the past. Whatever finer details may be discovered regarding women's economic activism will hopefully not only produce more accurately targeted material inputs, but also enhance their self-confidence and status. And this is the final, final paragraph. By way of conclusion, I would like to emphasize the importance of the economic and Palestinian history. When Zionist delegates went to Ottoman rulers to appeal for support for the early colonies, it was help with the empire's failing economy that they offered. One of the first Zionist institutions to be established, the Jewish National Fund, was aimed to purchase land, and another one, early one, the Stadrut, was intended to monopolize employment, in other words, economic. Among the ways that the mandate advantaged Zionist colonization and disadvantaged the Arab Palestinians was through freeing up communal land, through granting large concessions to Jewish entrepreneurs, through exempting new industries from taxes, because all the new industries were, were actually Jewish, um, opening Palestine to free market competition, which lowered the, the price for agricultural products, underfinanced social services was a very important way because uh, Zionism had their own uh, educational setup. And of course, the, the Palestinians depended on the mandate for, for, for education, and it was you know, hideously underfunded. The expulsions, to go on with the economic and Palestinian history, the expulsions of 1948 brought Zionism land without people and enabled the passing of the absentee property law. And after the Nekba, the US and the UK sought the solution of the refugee problem, uh, and Pape has a lot about this in his book about uh, British role in, 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 uh, in the East through economic rather than political means in other words right early on in their search for a solution they switched from pressure on Israel to uh, bring back the refugees according to resolution 194 to an economic method which was basically integration into the host economies Uh, again, with the economic, Israel adopted de-development as a primary means of reducing Palestinians, whether among Palestinians in Israel or in Gaza or through the refugee camps. And today, the international community, so-called, uses economic means to control the Palestinian national authority. From this, I conclude that research to help Palestinian communities to self-reproduce with less hardship is an appropriate aim for an institution such as the Institute of Palestine Studies. How do he The floor is, thank you, Rosemary. Uh, the floor is open for questions. Please introduce yourself. Asking questions. Yes. Yeah. Silence. Should I talk to the mic? Or? Oh, yeah. 
you get very aware of camp specificity and localism and uh, I think during the PLO period there was quite a lot of uh, connection between camps for instance through sports through football matches um, uh, through, through uh, Nedwert but that after the departure of the PLO that rather lapsed and uh, for instance I think that camp endogamy the marriage that marriages between families within the same camp are higher than marriages between people in, in, in different camps so I'm not really sure of that so I think the pe- different people you ask would give you different answers and there are different answers uh, let me add a bit to yeah. your question excuse me your question was why do you think movement did not show solidarity with the Palestinian camps while was, was while um, was under attack right it was an example well this is a good question because you know in the Lebanese imagination the Palestinian camps hardly exist in the general imagination and precisely the people of the Ustink movement refused to approach refugees Syrians and Palestinians which make a, a, a substantial amount of the population of Lebanon because from the beginning there was a, a criminalization and dehumanization to the refugee element as a stranger in the protest from the authority and from uh, middle upper class activists, NGO activists who actually backstabbed the lower classes who were in the camp and refused the participation of refugees because it was problematic for them. They couldn't deal with Lebanese and non-Lebanese at the same time. And so it's a Lebanese issue and it's right for Palestinians to feel resentment because they live here, they share the country as well. Can I ask you a question? <laughs> I, uh, I just want, I, I am not sure about the, um, uh, the economic solution, right? And so do you mean by that, like uh, a smooth, you know, uh, like give them the, the means to smooth as when the PLO started the social affairs, um, you know, uh, and so on. Because there is a whole discussion about, you know, um, in order to sustain the Palestinian communities, you have to give them the means of sustainability, the economic means of sustainability, right? So are you, are you talking to that literature? Because then we go back to the question of... Uh, is there something like, can we separate the economic from the political? Because it's always a political decision to have an economic support, right? It was like, and then we go back to the same question that Yusuf asked, can we have development without liberation? <laughs> right? So it's a vicious circus. I'd like you to comment more on this. I, I missed the last part because I think you, you really skipped a lot from that paper so <laughs> if I understood well you were trying to say that we need to focus on the economic uh, just because I think it's missing and because it's important yeah but this is from research or f- to help the Palestinian reproduce as a community both I mean I made the point that I think it's politically important for the camps to continue until there's a just settlement that's how I started yeah you know. and given that how do they continue? And then the literature that actually I prefer to the, the, the one you cite on, on Samud, because I think the whole Samud concept as it was administered was quite corrupt. Yeah. Um, and it also exploited class and it exploited gender to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the, the, the literature that I prefer is Ilana Feldman and how, you know, um, why should Palestinians in camps be expected to bear the heaviest weight of the Nakba in terms of conditions, you know, and I, I, I'll outline all the conditions that make camps extremely unpleasant to live in um, when other Palestinians, you know, don't have to uh, bear those conditions. And why should, you know, that go on under the name of, let's say, the slogan of Samud? It's, 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 uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very against that. I, I think looking for other kinds of intervention, perhaps they would become corrupt in time because everything does, but mm. uh, they haven't been tried. And because I believe that if there was research on women's economic activism, it would be found to be much more crucial in the reproduction of communities than we understand it now because such research hasn't ever been done you know uh, it's only based on what I know of camp life that I feel that this research would come up with results that could support uh, targeted interventions i.e. by targeted I mean ones that are articulated with what actually will work in camp communities I don't know if that answers your question. I mean, you can't ever separate the economic and the political, but that the emphasis in the past on the political has kind of excluded the economic, and I'm calling for more of a, uh, a veering back. Well, that was in research, but not when, we were, when they were thinking of solutions during the, PL, the liberation movement, because this is how the economic was brought after the political was set, right? You mean in the 69-year-old yes. court? Yes. yes. So this is that you know this is the tension True, that yes. I am. This is the tension I'm trying mm. to. <laughs> under the 69 Accords, which of course were abrogated under the Karani government in 85, yeah, something like that. Um, 86. That the the ban on Palestinian workers was lifted, but that was a sort of very short period. And people I've listened to in camps actually can hardly remember it, or they don't feel that it was that important. Mm. Because if employment went up, it was mainly with Palestinian organisations rather than with Lebanese companies. Thank you, Rosemary. Uh, as always, enlightening. Uh, I have that I would. So I sympathize with your pointing to the to, uh, to researchers to the importance of economics, and um, I was wondering because on the one hand you're saying uh, economics are really important to the reproduction of communities and this community in particular economic aspects or the remittances, remittances uh, uh, gender work um, and on the other hand and often this kind of argument about the reproduction of communities is a, an argument about social class uh, the reproduction of social class and on the other hand you're also saying it's a very diverse community the income uh, mm. the income gap it's fragmented, camps are fragmented, which would go against that kind of social class analysis. So, I don't know if you have a comment to make about that. I think that's a very interesting uh, internal contradiction. 
and it's one that Sylvain uh, Pedigon brought up too in discussions because he did most of his work in the South where practices of Zipgat, charity, what I call indigenous charity, uh, are, are very prevalent. And where you find uh, uh, much more the survival of the Dar, the, the big Palestinian family, you know, uh, households that are connected through marriage all living in the same part of the camp, which you, you obviously don't find you know, in camps like Chukina, which are very mixed. People that come from uh, other camps here and, um, and you find individual households that might have one related household in the camp, but probably not the, the big Dar. So he says that the practice of zakat reproduces social stratification. You know, the big families, are the ones that can give charity. And because they can give charity, they go on being important, you know, up there in, in social class terms. And so it's a, it's a question like if you believe in the reproduction of camp communities, and if indigenous charity helps that reproduction, then you sort of accept. The, the, the stratification, uh, negative stratification uh, aspect. I mean, you can't have it both ways. And uh, I don't see more equality in a camp like Shatila where, you know, um, there, aren't, there isn't the dar. So I'm not sure that, you know, losing the dar actually helps class equality. There isn't any proof of that. Of that. 